Right. So as usual tonight, uh, we've got some folks out. Thank you for being here. Um, I know at Christmas time we kind of we have folks that are out. I know uh, Vincent was telling me some of his house there resting. It was kind of a busy evening, and uh, I know my parents. I think they've had kind of a long week. We've got multiple multiple families and folks out tonight, so we've got plenty of space if you want to move around. And uh, can I get help with uh, hand these out? Should be enough. One, two, three, four, five. We got plenty for everybody to get one, and we can make copies if not. So I know how it usually hurt. Um, if you have husbands and wives, usually the husbands look at the wives like you fill it out for me. So, um, but this is this is going to be pretty easy. While uh, Ken's hand those out, so we have been on this series on angels. Um, and on Sundays, we've been on a series on Xmas, if you remember what's missing from Christmas, and uh, that bad term, Christians can't stand that term, Xmas, but we've been talking about that, uh, about the switch for us uh, on a culture of Advent instead of Christmas because of the commercialization. So very fitting that Wednesday nights, um, angels are a focus during Christmas time. It's one of the few times you'll see uh, statues of angels out even in the um, evangelical churches. You know, if you go to a Catholic church, you see plenty of angels and all kinds of figures and things, but not so much. But during the Christmas season or Advent, you'll see it around other churches as well. So we've been on angels. Uh, I am not going to probably clue you in as much on the fill in the blank this time. Usually I kind of feed it to you. If you'll kind of follow along with me, but um, the way I prepared for tonight, I'm not going to tell you. Now, there, there are plenty of scriptures in here, and this may be a challenging way to do it, but if you want to read one of those scriptures... Then when I get to that point, put your hand up and tell me what scripture you want to read. Um, and we'll see how many people are brave tonight that will jump in there. All right. So everybody's got their... Uh, does anybody need pens? We do have pens. Anybody need anything to write with? You do? Okay. Back there by Nathan, if Devin, if you don't mind grabbing that whole cup and just bring it this way and then if somebody else needs one. Yeah. May need it. May make you cry tonight. Well, I wasn't going to start with jokes tonight because last time I did that, it bombed bad. It was the worst. It was the worst of all the times I've tried to tell jokes. The last time you guys were a tough crowd. So angels, angel warriors is the focus tonight. We've looked at uh, different aspects of angels and and uh, descriptions and, and things like that. And we'll go a little more into descri- describing uh, some of their their job uh, function, if you will. Uh, one of the main scriptures, uh, Colossians 2.18, that we focus on around here. The, the one thing we said is, and this is, I will give you the first fill in the blank, but 273, 273 verses in scripture dealing with angels. It's 273, so it's not something that's just breezed over, but we have 273 references to angels in scripture. So you have to wonder why a lot of preachers don't cover this more, including myself. It's something that we, you know, we, we want to focus on the salvation message, uh, many different parts of Scripture, but angels are sometimes just kind of delved in on some other topic. I believe there's three reasons, uh, three main reasons many churches don't talk about angels. The first of which, which will be another fill in the blank, is reaction against speculation. Reaction against speculation, I'll explain that. 
you know, theologians are awful, and theologians are the ones that that is their, their main job and focus is to study God's word and to expound on it, to, to help unveil the things, the mysteries of the Bible, the things that we are curious about. And um, they are guilty sometimes on focusing on things that we could really care less about. And what I mean is, you know, let me put it in these terms. If you work for Walmart and you are a cashier at the cash register, you don't necessarily care about what is inside that thing that beeps, that happens to put, how it puts that price through and shows it up and how that calculates. You don't really care about that, do you? You just care that it keeps beeping because you got people in line, right? And you got a job to do. And we as the lay people, Christians, that don't consider ourselves theologians, maybe you do, I don't consider myself a theologian, but, you know, sometimes we really don't care about some of the details that theologians expound on. If you ever read a Bible commentary, you'll find out. There are plenty of things they put in there that you may not really care about. What you care about is, how do I live my life for Christ so I am pleasing to the Lord? How do I get to heaven, right? And how do I lead others there? And, and that's the nuts and bolts. So we just care about how that functions. But that's one reason that theologians, uh, that sometimes uh, many churches don't talk about angels, is the reaction people give to speculation. In the last couple of messages, I've given you my take on some things in Scripture that doesn't really say it there. It's just the way I think I see it. Remember when we talked about angels coming to church and sitting there and what they must think and, and those kind of things. I kind of projected my own thoughts into that. The Bible doesn't say exactly everything they think and their curiosities, but we looked at Scripture and know that they are curious about us, so I expounded on that. So reaction against speculation. You know, theologians, they'll worry about things like, does, does each angel have a name, such as Gabriel, Michael, or, or how much time passed between the creation of angels and the fall of the third of them? Or they might focus on, is there a guardian angel assigned to every child born? None of these are addressed in the Bible, but scholars love to talk about them. And it's, it's a turnoff to most of us who want to know, uh, to know not what they think, but what God has said. The second reason, main reason I believe um, that churches don't talk about angels is reaction against the worship of angels by the Roman Catholic Church. One of the, one of the reasons there was a break from Roman Catholicism is because when people started really diving into the Word of God themselves and reading it, understood we aren't to worship angels. We aren't to worship Mary. We aren't that Jesus, that God himself and Jesus are the only ones that we're to worship. And so... You know, they don't encourage uh, the Roman Catholic Church as a whole, historically, has not encouraged their parishioners to read the Bible for themselves. The priest is there to explain that. And so that, that, that's what started that break from that is Protestants, they wanted to know. And, and so that reaction against the worship of angels. But since the fourth century, they have uh, also promoted the worship of angels. And then September 29th is a holiday in the Roman Catholic Church called Michael Mass, which focuses on the wor worship of the archangel, Michael. Colossians 2.18 says, Let no one disqualify you, insisting on uh, asceticism and worship of angels, going in, on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. In other words, be careful that you don't think you know scripture so well you start adding your own things and you you kind of give these people puffed up uh you know talking about visions and puffed up things and that's why some guys will come out with these books like we've 
kind of joked about 88 reasons Jesus would come back in 88. And they get on their own track and they puff this up. And then when it's wrong, they just kind of disappear off into the sunset, right? And nobody thinks about it again. But as a knee-jerk reaction, Bible-believing churches have been guilty of uh, backing off this subject of angels. That's also a problem. They, they're fear, fearful of being uh, accused of giving them too much attention. So we got to just talk about Jesus. I mean, the angels are the distraction. We need to focus on Jesus. A third reason I think we uh, shy away from this topic is a reaction against paganism. Because some who really study the word and they begin to find out that um, every known pagan group in the world believe in spirits, demons, and angels. Now, I'm a little bit nervous on this part because um, I have someone a little more studied on, especially Eastern religions. But from what I understand, Hindus and Muslims and Buddhists um, and the endless, endless Indonesian and jungle tribes of the world, that they, they believe in these spirit beings. I mean, maybe not in the same sense as the gospel does, but they have built into their belief system uh, for uh, these, other, these um, types of, of spiritual beings. In fact, I was looking in the pagoda-style roof, which I think originated in Japan, uh, the wooden structure, but China does. But China, um, they uh, historically liked that or used that with the belief that if demons were trying to come on your home, they would slide down, there's points in the end, and they would either impale themselves or hurt themselves and wouldn't come back. So even the style of their roofs were designed with this belief about demon demons. So... Uh, there's some of the same concepts as with earrings and other piercings. Um, some cultures and religions, it's revolved around warding off evil spirits, demons. Um, so we've covered the basics about angels uh, in our first four messages. Now, to get in more detail, we have to just come to the point that angels are not soft, um, diaper-clothed babies with wings floating around on a marshmallow-looking cloud, right, with a harp and a little bow and arrow, right? That's, that's really not what angels are, although that's cute and a lot of people like to think of angels that way, um, but they're not. They are God's secret agents and messengers, warriors. Uh, if, if this was, we're talking about God's army, this is the special forces of God's army. These are the ones that they are created and skilled and trained and, and have given, been given special power to fight like no other being can fight. So God has sent them on missions to kill and destroy. To make war. To protect his own. To protect us. There's a missionary, I believe he's a Baptist missionary, J.T. Lyons. Spent a lifetime working in Africa. and He specifically was in an area with his family and, and children where there was cannibals. And um, at one point they had to retreat back to their hut because the cannibals were on the attack and coming. And they begin to just pray and, and believe God. And, and uh, all of a sudden they retreated. And much later they were asked, uh, he, was, he asked one of the tribal leaders after uh, some of them were reached for Christ, you know, why at that time did you retreat? And he says, because of the large men in shiny clothes with swords that were all around your hut. And so you won't convince that missionary that there aren't angels because he has experienced uh, their protection. So, you'll you know, even though you'll never convince him, there are folks who, who they have a different idea of what angels do. But why must they fight and make war? 
Why do they wipe out entire cities, entire armies, and other huge people groups in the Bible? Both Old Testament and the end times. Why do they do this? I mean, why does God have this standing army prepared to spring into battle? Well, we have to realize there's a mighty angelic conflict being fought because Satan and a multitude of other angels chose to rebel against God. Remember, we talked about that. These angels, there's no indication that angels are continuing to be created. That, that from all intents and purposes, all we know is they were created all at the same time. So there are angels who are warring against former fellow angels who are now demons. Some of their own ranks. You know, when I was in the military, I think that'd be hard. If you, you had guys on your side that switched to the bad side and you're having to war against them, there's a whole other emotional part to that. And remember from Scripture, we discovered they do have emotion. They, are, they, they do have some type of emotion. They may not have the same uh, feelings and understanding that we do, but they have emotion. Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 through 15 says, How, how you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How are you cut down to the ground who laid the nations low? You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to Sheol, to the far reaches of the pit. Who is it talking about? Satan. This is the kind of attitude he had. I will, I will rise myself above the Most High. I will be above God. Another passage about Satan's fall is Ezekiel 28, verses 13 through 19. It says, You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. Sardius, topaz, and diamond. Beryl, onyx, and jasper. Sapphire, emerald, and carbuncle. That doesn't sound so precious, but carbuncle is probably not pronouncing it right. And crafted in gold were your settings and your engravings. On the day that you were created, they were prepared. You were an anointed guardian cherub. I placed you. You were on the holy mountain of God. In the midst of the stones of fire you walked. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till unrighteousness was found in you. In the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence in your midst and you sinned. I cast you as a profane thing from the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, O guardian cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was, as, was proud because of your beauty. Your, you corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I exposed you before kings to, fear, to feast their eyes on you. By the multitude of your iniquities, in the unrighteousness of your trade, you profaned your sanctuaries. So I brought fire from, from your midst. I consumed you, and I turned you to ashes on the earth in the sight of all who saw you. All who know you among the peoples are appalled at you. You have come to a dreadful end and shall be no more forever. So, I mean, it's talking about the beauty of Lucifer. You know, there's a, there's a, there's a part of that name that's, that's uh, projecting light. And so we know this beautiful light-filled angel who let sin enter i guess i i, I want to say pride you know it's kind of hard when we get into that because we talk about us as only having the 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 nature that we have because of fallen man and a chance for redemption but we also talk about angels from scripture have no chance of redemption that we can see if they mess up they are fallen angel right 
they're sent down. So the beginning of this passage above seems to indicate that Satan had to do with the music in heaven in some regard. So you have to watch out for those music directors that want to be the pastor, right? Everybody looked at you just a minute. I don't know what it was. In all honesty, that is one of the the biggest dividers in churches is music. And I really believe it's tied to the fact that that was one of the problems in the beginning. The worship leader wanted to be the pastor. Nothing wrong with wanting to be a pastor, but he wanted to be greater and had no regard for the king. Not the pastor, but the king. So Lucifer was his name at the time, and he was bright, beautiful, full of wisdom. He had a position of authority over the angels, but he wanted more. He wanted the throne of God. And there's been war ever since, raging in the heavenly places. Um, the Bible speaks of Satan's angels in Revelation 12, 7. It says, Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back. So who's the dragon? Satan. Revelations 12, verses 3 through 6, backing up to the beginning of that. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns. See, we've got the picture of Satan wrong, right? We're always doing this. You've got to do this. So that's funny. You can be making the sign of Satan. Everybody thinks you're doing, uh, doing moose, right? Moose maybe are of the devil. They got the... So, another anyway, they have ten horns... Um, and his, and his head seven diadems, and his tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them into the earth. So how do we know that the stars represent the angels in Revelations? Because it's talking about a third, which is a third of the angels, right? The references of stars. His tail swept down a third of the stars. And the dragon stood before the woman who is about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. And she gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. Who is, who is it talking about? Who is the child? Satan's trying to just devour the, the dragon. Who is the child? Jesus. Like in case I'm wrong. I don't, that way I can act like I didn't say anything. Right, Jesus. And the woman fled to the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. How do we know, uh, so how do we know the stars are the angels in Revelation? Because of that reference, but also Revelation 120 says, As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So a lot of that imagery we talked about uh, with the representation when we were talking about in Revelation when John was taken up and saw uh, in the, the, the courtroom or the, the, the heavenly places. So a third of the host of heaven followed Lucifer and fell to the earth, becoming demon spirits and the war rages. So let's make some practical application. We want to make this practical uh, before moving to the next uh, part of this message. What can we learn from Satan's rebellion? Now, listen, this is a little bit loaded because I have a specific answer, but I just want to hear from you. What can we learn from Satan's rebellion? I know I'm talking fast, but it's because i got a lot to cover tonight. But what, what, what can we learn from Satan's rebellion? 
Just throw it out there. It's not a wrong answer. I've just got one that I'm going to give you uh, if someone doesn't hit it the same way. Yeah, so let's okay, keep Ken's answer in your mind because he, he brought it to the point of spelling out what I'm getting at. So he's saying that, um, you know, anytime you try to buck against God, you, you want to try to be greater than God, you want to try to uh, be greater than him, then it's rebellion, which is with trap. We will actually hit that too. But so what if, if, if you're doing that, then what attributes, the attributes that gives you, who are you being like? Who are you being like if you buck against God and Satan? Here, here's the point I want to make. Um, we are never more like Satan than when we rebel against authority. Now that's a hard pill to swallow because we have a lot of authority over us in our lives. Everything to the speed limit, right? And the police. I mean, while that one's one we're all smile about because, um, you know, I'm sure Ray would have to pedal the metal all the way to church tonight. <laughs> I'm kidding. But... Um, you know, I rode with Ray. He he obeys the speed limit. But we, but you know, when we think about that, we really are are becoming a, a, an attribute. We're gaining an attribute, or allowing ourselves to that's much like Satan and his, what causes fall. We're rebelling against the authority over us. Here's an amazing verse. Uh, it, the context is the rebellion of Saul, King Saul, who rebelled against what God had told him to do, and Samuel the prophet confronted him here. First uh, Samuel fifteen twenty three. It says, "For rebellion is as the sin of divination, and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry, because you have rejected the word of the Lord. He has also rejected you from being king." And so Ken hit on the head. Rebellion is a form of Satan worship, and that might be a fill in the blank. Rebellion is a form of Satan worship, because Satan himself, the author. An inventor of rebellion. Witchcraft is not just witchcraft. It is not a worship in of itself. You understand that witchcraft is Satanism. Now you talk to a Satanist and you talk to somebody who's been witchcraft and they'll say, no, you're totally different. Uh, Wicca is a, is, a, is a peaceful thing and it's not, what they don't understand is uh, that's, that is all fine and good if you're going to reject God's word and say that none of that's true. But where did most people even learn about the ability to do witchcraft? It was from God's word. When people rebelled about, away from God, witchcraft was formed, but it is another form of Satanism. So you, you can only serve one or two masters. So you end up serving Satan, if you, especially if you pose yourself as an enemy of God, enemy of his word. So in every area of our lives, children against parents and teachers, wives against husbands and vice versa, men rebelling against God. I'm going to stomp on a little bit of toes right here. I'm going to tell you, parents, I'm not advocating that you just... You know, go home and start cranking down on your kids. But when you allow your kids to rebel against you and talk back, if you don't start young and start uh, helping them understand that they've got to respect you, 
what, what you may think is innocent because I'm dad and maybe my parents did the same thing or whatever. But what you teach them is it's okay to rebel in certain increments. Well, when you don't have control over them anymore, and what I mean is you don't have the opportunity to teach them anymore, they're out of the home, that, that grows. Because they're going to take that inch and go a mile and two miles and on and on and on. You know, I can't tell you how many people I talk to who are in trouble now in their lives and they'll say, you know, I wish somebody had just helped me understand I can't behave this way. So you've got to get a handle on that because when, when they rebel against you as a parent, you are letting them see that there is, there is, it is okay uh, to rebel. But at the very basis of that, I'm not saying your kids are doing witchcraft, okay? I'm not taking it that far. I'm just saying that you are, you are letting them get a taste of that and take it further. You've got to nip that in the bud. Um, we get prodded sometimes about how I make my kids talk to me like they're in the military. But, you know, it's, it's because as soon as I let off of that, they go further the other way. So, um, you know, every parent has figured that out. We all have got different parenting styles, but I'm just going to challenge you. That is how we as a church can combat what's going on with false religions like, uh, like m- the Muslim faith where they're trying to outpopulate us. It's all about kids. They have for decades decide they're going to just simply outpopulate Christians because the average in the U.S. was like, it was at 2.1 kids for a long time and it dropped down and it's getting lower and lower. And, and, you know, we're having less kids, Christians are, and they're having more kids. And so um, Muslims from birth, they're whispered in their ear and they are told they're Muslim, that they worship Muhammad. And from that point on, uh, the only way they can separate from that is to basically curse their whole family, all the generations back to the beginning. It's passed on generation to generation. So it's very important that we realize that as, as kids, we have the charge to teach them not to rebel, that, that God's way is not to rebel. You know, employees against their bosses. That one's tough. If your boss can be a jerk, it's tough. People against their government. And in churches, sheep rebelling against a shepherd. God places over them. Um, this is a tough one. I'd like to think myself as easy going, but God's given me a charge to be a shepherd. And so I want to just be all good with everybody, you know? Maybe if I wasn't a Christian, I'd be a, a Rastafarian because I just want everybody to, don't worry, be happy. I don't know. But, uh, you know, that's, that's kind of my mode is I want everybody to just be happy. I don't want to have, but I know I feel conviction in my spirit. Just like you feel convicted when you disobey God, I feel conviction when I let someone get away with rebelling against the leadership placed over them in the church. And the buck stops here. I can't sleep and I can't eat and I'm knotted up and I know I gotta have a talk with somebody. So, ugh, God, why can't you just let me go do something else? <laughs> you know, and Steve and I talk about ministry. You know, sometimes like God, why are you doing this to me? You know, but you gotta understand that um, if I'm doing my job that God's given me, I've gotta also teach you not to rebel. And rebellion comes in many forms and very sneaky. And sometimes God will reveal it to me this person being rebellious, and I have to help them. Do you know I've seen rebellion when someone just doesn't even want my opinion about it? Now, it's hard. I have to separate my own desire as a brummet to tell everybody how it should be done, right? Chelsea, Chelsea's laughing because this is fresh to her. She jumped from Ferguson to brummet real quickly, and she understands, right? We're always right. Like, everybody else is weird and wrong, but the brummets are right, you know? But I have to separate that, and I, I challenge myself all the time. Am I just trying to get my point across? Is it just my opinion, or is God put in my heart that this person is rebelling because they don't even want to hear my opinion? You know, they may say, oh, yeah, 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 but they're going to ignore it, right? I've, I've had times where, you know, Ken and I are very close, but there's times we have to challenge each other. 
you know? You know, hey, Ken, you know, I know you're doing ministry, man. You may need to slow down. And he may turn around and tell me the same thing. I know you're doing ministry. You need to slow down. Or you need to focus more on family. You need to do that. We have to be willing to, to hear that and, and take it. All right. I'm going to get on a rabbit trail here and, and, and lose time that we need for, to get through. So we can all agree, I think, that anything with two heads is a monster. If I see any character in a movie that has two heads, to me, it's automatically a monster. Right? And so God provides us authority and headship. This is another fill in blank. Authority and headship or leadership in all areas of our lives. And many of us are leaders in some form or fashion, maybe in just our family, but work or whatever. But all of us are followers in some form or fashion too, myself included. I may be past here, but there are some ministries we start where I want to subject myself to that person as a leader. I may have even placed them in charge. But they're the ones that came to me and said, Pastor, I think it'd be good if the church would be doing this. And I say, good, you're the head of it. And they're like, oh, wait, you know. But, you know, if they take that and go start just going after it, whether they're doing it the way I do it or not, I want to just be following what they do. And some of you have started something. You keep coming to me saying, hey, how should we do this? And I'm like, yeah, you've. That's your deal. You figure it out. You know, because we need that. It's healthy. We don't need two heads on everything. The only way this church is going to grow is people to take an area of ministry, God's put it on their hearts, and they run with it and not feel like I need to be the one still in control. Because you get two heads over that ministry and it feels weird to people. Well, who do I go ask? Do I ask pastor or I ask this person? You have to just step into that role God's given you. So um, anything with two heads is a monster. Uh, I'm also thankful for the group of people we have here because you're very loyal and submissive to God. You know, I, it's not about me. It's you, you show loyalty and submissive to God and, and uh, servant, servant ministry. So um, it's not that way everywhere. Not every church has people who will take on that September event that we really should have had 100 volunteers and we did it with like 30, right? Um, so I'm thankful you know, Jennifer and I both grew up in ministry, and we know how it can be. Um, we both witnessed broken hearts over um, constantly dealing with people rebelling, uh, rebelling uh, to their God-given authority or feel that they've been given authority of God to become armchair pastors or the pastor police, as some may call them. You know, we've, we've witnessed, she's not in here, but we've witnessed people close to us where a church is just come against our pastor and just it's tearing everybody up and splits the church, leaves long-lasting scars on people. You know, I'm not saying the pastor's always right, but sometimes we just go about it really wrong. So, rebellion is akin to witchcraft, Satan worship. A study of Satan is a study in rebellion. So, uh, God is in control of these uh, comments that I'm making tonight even, and though they may not be needed because I'm not having an issue with people rebelling against me or seeing them rebel against God or rebel against the, the organization of this church or whatever, I'm not seeing that, but I believe that God uses it. So there'll be some time and place where you, God has brought you here tonight to hear this, and you'll be instrumental. It may not even be pastor that's taking care of it. You may see some kind of rebellion. I've had that happen. Man, that's one of the best feelings in the world of a pastor when you hear about something that was taken care of godly after it's done. I'm going to tell you, I go home and almost do a little happy dance. Like, I, I don't, you know, I'm part Indian. It's almost like a rain dance. I'm just around like, God, you're growing people in the church. 
You know, I had that happen a few years ago. Someone come to me and said, hey, I should have told you about this, but so-and-so was, was doing this or doing that, and it, I, I just felt like it was divisive, it was going to cause problems, and I, I gave them some scripture, and I told them we shouldn't be doing that. And, and they, they, they stopped, and I'm like, let me hug you. Let me take you to dinner, <laughs> you know. That's what we should be doing. We should um, be growing to the point that we're all um, helping uh, to fight against the rebellion, against the Satan worship, the witchcraft that tries to, to crowd in in the church. All of our homes can benefit this, husbands and wives. Uh, I mentioned this before. Here's toe-stepping again. At one time, uh, before I was even pastor here, I just was an observ- observation. I noticed that most of the couples we had in, the wives wore the pants in the family. Sometimes the men couldn't even get a word in edgewise. Ken, you're safe. That was before you guys came. So, you know, but... <laughs> But, you know, I'm just telling you, I'm, I'm being real with you. I'm not trying to hurt anybody's feelings. And you're thinking, was I here? I'm just telling you, it's culturally too. And I'm not a chauvinist. I'm just telling you, when it's out of balance where the wife is bossing around the husband or treating them, it, it is never going to end well for them. It's going to be strife and turmoil. And I'm not telling you the wife has to walk behind the husband, you know, five feet and be quiet. My wife and I are partners. We are equal in, in, in co-equal ministry. But she lets me lead the way God planned it. And I also honor her by looking out for her needs and what she thinks we should do. Her opinion matters to me more than anybody else. And so I honor her and let her guide my heart. In fact, some of the wedding vows I've used and the few weddings I've done talks about God did not make Eve from Adam's uh, head so that she could rule over him or, or from this or that, but she was made from his side that she might guide him through his heart. You know, that she might, by her virtue, guide him. So, so that's how uh, we fight off rebellion in our families. So we can never be more like Satan than when, when we rebel against authority. Sins of the heart, those that are hidden, are the most dangerous. Sins of the heart are most dangerous. And there's two reasons for that. Two reasons that sins of the heart are most dangerous. They are easy to hide from other people. They're easy to hide from other people. So I went through something in Bible school. Some of you have heard it before. I'm not going to tell the story. I'm just going to say I had to leave in a bad situation, right? Um, it was embarrassing. It was crushing. But I had, to, I had to leave, and I learned a lesson. Some of you, and my wife included, will say, you tell people too much about yourself. You show. I had a, a, a vice president at Walmart that in mentoring me, she told me, said, and just excuse pastor using this kind of term, she said, you show your rear end too much to people. In other words, you show them your weaknesses. You show them your weak sides, and that can also be bad for a leader. And I agree to an extent, but what I found out is I did this whole thing. Remember the community series? Some of you that were here for this, right? We said, you should know people well enough that if you say, how are you, and they say, fine, you know them well enough to be able to say, if appropriate, baloney. You ought to be able to call it. They shouldn't be 400 miles from where they should be centered before anybody knows that they're gone and in trouble. So, um, so I learned through that experience, because I would walk around, praise God, I'm fine, while sin was turning in my heart. You know, oh, I'm fine, brother. I'm fine. Go to chapel, praise God with everybody else. I'm fine. You know, didn't want anybody to know. Things were kind of breaking apart. And then they started really breaking apart. And then I started making big mistakes. And so, you know, things crumbled. So I wear my heart on my sleeve now. I wear my problems out there. And so anybody that thinks that's a, a, a bad part for me, that that's maybe I'm not as polished as other pastors, hey, I'm sorry, I learned by a hard way. I'm not going to fake it. If I got a problem, somebody's going to know about it because I don't want to go down that road again. 
I don't want to be resigning from here because I got some kind of moral failure. So, the second, sometimes they're hidden from even ourselves. Sometimes we fool ourselves. We can easily be blinded to our own sins. Think about it. Here's uh, the, the difference between drunkenness and envy. Let's just use those two. Difference between drunkenness and envy, both sin. Okay, Bible doesn't say, and we won't get into this too much, about you know that you take a sip of alcoholic beverage, sin. It says drunkenness. You're, you're becoming drunk. Now, I abstain. I believe that their scripture also says stay away from strong drink. And we could get into that, and we won't. But I'm just going to tell you that if we had a drunk stagger in tonight while Ken's worshiping, right, leading worship, and he walks up here, takes my fingers, I'm just going to sing a song, right? He starts singing some kind of Merle Haggard, right? I mean, he's getting down with Merle Haggard and slurred speech and all, and he's going at it. You know, we can obviously say, that guy is not following the Lord right now. We can kind of point to the sin, right? Maybe we shouldn't judge, but we can see it obviously. He's making it a spectacle. But someone who is being envious of Ken up there, saying, you know, I could probably, I, I think I could do that better. Probably every tone-deaf person that comes to church thinks they can do it better than the right? Because you see them on America's Got Talent and all that. They, they come in thinking they can sing. Someone told them, oh, yeah, you're good. Probably because they didn't want them to sing again, right? So um, they just wanted to appease them. So we can see those things. Drunkenness and envy, it's two different things. And that's why it says in Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. You've got to be vigilant about what's going on in your heart. Man, you got to stay on it. From the time I get up in the morning, this isn't bragging on me. I'm just telling you this is how bad I am. I've got to stay on it all day. Motives in my heart. I mean, I just could go into details, but then some of you would probably put connections and you'd think, oh, you offend me. <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe I was, uh, you know, just in a weak moment and I was um, being nice to you, but I just want to be left alone. We all have those moments, right? So, Keep your heart with all diligence from, for from it flow the springs of life. Let me just, one more analogy. Remember we talked about tube of toothpaste. When you squeeze a tube of toothpaste, what do you expect to come out? Toothpaste. If you squeeze it and mud comes out, you're, if you got from Walmart, you're calling the claims management and filing a claim because someone put mud. Now your psyche's damaged because you'll never be able to squeeze toothpaste again and you want $1.5 million, right? It's very damaging if mud comes out. Well, think about what the unbeliever sees when a Christian who proclaims that inside them they've got Christ, but when the pressure's on and they're squeezed, something like stinky mud comes out. They feel offended, they feel wronged, and they want compensation, right, of some kind. They want retribution, so they take it out on Facebook and all Christians are hypocrites. This is, this is what we're, we're seeing when you've got those hidden sins of the heart because when you're squeezed, those are the ones that come out. So... Um, man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. You can fool all the people some of the time. You can probably finish this for me, right? You can fool all the people some of the time, some of the people all the time, but you can't fool God. <laughs> I changed it. Who says in Proverbs ten eighteen, the one who conceals hatred has lying lips, and whoever utters slander is a fool. Proverbs 26, 26, whose hatred is covered by deceit, his wickedness shall be shewed before the whole congregation. So uh, guard your heart from hidden sins such as rebellion. We want to be thankful for God's angels, his special forces, because they are about protecting us, ministering to us, 
and fighting mighty battles for the Lord and our benefit. While we struggle with all these sins, sometimes these hidden sins, we struggle with our need to rebel, right? Our, our sinful nature wanting to rebel. The angels are warring on our behalf. God is using them to minister to us and war against the demons who are putting those thoughts in our heads, right? So you see the connection to angels? This doctrine of angels is as important as anything else in the Scripture. That's why it's mentioned over 270 times, is because they are helpers to us. God has sent them to help us in this war against the demonic forces that, that bring these internal battles. So we may not finish all this. We've got some time. We've got about around 20 minutes, but... This is really the second part of this. but So we, we, said, we said in the beginning, we're never more like Satan than when we rebel against authority. In 1 Samuel 15, 23, for rebellion is a sin of divination. We talked about that. But there's an important balance. Not every leader is truly of God. Right? So I even had some discussions today with someone about, you know, our president, right? There's people who were whining and fussing on one of my private Facebook pages, military guys, about it can't be Hillary, right? I don't usually say names, but I'm going to give both sides here. Don't, it can't be Hillary because that'd be horrible. It's got to be Trump, right? Trump gets in. He doesn't do everything they like, and now Trump is, is awful. Not every leader is truly of God, and a spiritual dictator is not worthy of having any following whatsoever, but the proper platform of leadership is example. So here's the thing. It may not be that they are being respectable. It may not be that they are being fair or doing what they say they do. They may not be, uh, they may be an unbeliever acting as an unbeliever, but we still have to uh, be obedient to the authority over us until it comes in conflict with us serving God. Three Hebrew children, right? We can't bow down to idols because if Trump told us to, we'd have to be in violation of the law at that point. And Steve and I talked about this, you know, at what point you, you go the gamut from Peter trying to swipe the head off. Remember I told you he wasn't trying to take an ear off, he's just a bad shot. Trying to take the head off, he caught an ear, right? So there's that. Sell the cloak and buy a sword as they're going out to minister, right? Because people are going to be after you. But then Jesus, and then we turn the other cheek. So there's this balance. There's this balance between when, when it matters is when we're being forced to go against what God tells us to do. Otherwise, it's not your battle. You pray for who is supposed to be in the White House, and then you trust God that his will is being done in accordance with your prayer. But you don't go take up arms, and now we've got to defeat the government because it's just starting to tromp on Christianity too much. If they're getting ready to take every woman and child and put them into some type of slavery, then I think and sometimes God's people, they need to take up arms. We're supposed to defend the weak. So... You know, angels are able to war for us in the unseen battles where we need to just stay out of it, right? We need to pray and leave it at that. So there's an important balance. In order to understand angels as God's army of warriors, we must also understand the enemy. And this is a part I inserted that I didn't plan in this, in this series. We're going to talk about demons for a minute. I don't really like to talk about demons, honestly. Because I'll tell you a true story. I saw a demon when I was a child. Knew for a fact it was a demon when I saw it. I knew for a fact that it was there for bad intentions. And then later found out when I was grown that there was all kinds of stuff my dad was dealing with in that church. And that was the reason that demon was in my room. So if you want to know something, not only do I not celebrate Halloween, 
but you want to get your pastor mad, there's not too much that makes me mad. Don't ever send me one of those little things where the demonic face pops out after you're watching the puppy bounce around the screen. I will come unglued on you. Because I've seen the real deal, I don't want to be reminded of it. But we have to talk about that, and the reason is is because you need to understand what angels are really about doing and who they're dealing with. The first thing about demons is they are spirit beings just as the angels of God are. They are spirit beings. Spirit beings just as the angels of God are. Matthew 8.16 says that every evening, that evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. As we learned last week, people don't become angels when they die, right? And this is the best time to address this because at a funeral when people are saying, oh, they earned their wings, it's not the time I usually address that to the loved ones. Don't say that, it's not true. No, now's a good time to understand. It's just healthy to know that that's not biblical. We don't become angels. And people don't become demons after they die. They don't have the power to return and haunt you. The number is fixed on angels and demons because demons were angels fallen and there's only a set as far as what the Bible teaches us no indication that any more were created so no more angels or demons are being created number two they are real they are not the product of imagination they are real Mark chapter 5 1 through 9 they came to the other side of the sea to the country of uh, Garen scenes okay I've messed that up and when Jesus had stepped out of the boat immediately they met him out of the met him out of the tomb a man with an unclean spirit so this is when they show up the guy's rah you know he's he, he's like really messed up you know and a demon and so um, anyway he confronts him and this is when the famous part of the scripture by name uh, their name is Legion for we are many talking about he had many demons Demons are real, and just because you can't see them, just like we don't see angels a lot of times, but we talked about they could be right here in this room, very likely they are, because of what Scripture teaches us about their curiosity of us and our relationship with God, but doesn't mean they aren't there just because you don't see them. They exist in a different dimension. Um, Billy Graham in his book, Angels, God's Secret Agents, said he doesn't believe in angels for any other reason than he believes because the Bible says they're angels. And I believe the Bible to be the true word of God. And that means that what the Bible says about demons is true too. You can't have it both ways. You can't, you want to believe in heaven, you must believe in hell. You want to believe in angels, well demons come along with them. Because all our basis for either one come from scripture. Or in some cases personal experience, you know that they're real. They, number three, they usually deceive by appearing as angels of light. They usually deceive by appearing as angels of light and ministers of righteousness. Ministers of righteousness. 2 Corinthians 11, chapter 11, verses 13 through 15. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it's no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. Most of us think of demons as grotesque, slimy, green, pointy, ugly creatures. Um, we think of something repulsive or nauseating. And we've been watching too many horror films if that's what we think. 
because they appear as angels of light. I mentioned that one minister, I listened to a sermon on, on, on angels, and he indicated, and I, I haven't really searched it out to know, that um, a, uh, demons are generally seen almost angels of light with long flowing hair, almost female in nature. So I'd have to search and figure out where he all got that. But if there is some basis for that, um, you know, we know that we know that scripture doesn't talk to them uh, being uh, like we see them in the movies or whatever, but they are angels of light that they can deceive us into thinking that they are angels of God. Demons have the ability to transform themselves or possess or inhabit someone, thus transforming them. Angels can take on human form, though we don't believe uh, that they possess people. Angels appeared as humans to Abraham, to Jacob, um, and to many others in human form, and demons have this same ability, but it won't appear in a scary form when the angels take on human form. But I say won't take scary form. We do see in Scripture where people are fearful because it's an awesome sight, but but not in the kind of fear that you would think uh, of an evil fear. Um, we know demons will try to be beautiful and believable so they can be most effective. Um, it will probably carry a Bible and talk religious talk. I'm demon, they're, they're one of their crafts and Satan's is he quotes just enough scripture to make it sound good, but make it a lie. Adam and Eve. God did not say you would surely die, right? We know when Satan was tempting Jesus, he turned around and quoted the scripture correctly to him, right? So, and so in the day and time in which we live, we need to follow the Bible command to test the spirits, whether they be of God. If you actually had some spirit appear to you, you need to pray and ask God to show you, is this of you or not? Don't believe everything you hear just because it's on Christian television or radio. Don't don't because there's just some Christian movie and it was made by some people that made the Passion of the Christ or whatever. Don't don't get into this. Well, they had something credible over here, so I'm just going to buy into whatever they got. Just because uh, it's on a book in a book on a shelf, don't make it true. It's just like um, the Shack. They're getting ready to make a movie on the book The Shack. It's been quite a bit of time since I read that, but the way it depicts uh, God and and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Is not exactly, uh, well, it's not scriptural, but, you know, it depends if you want to give it artistic ability, you know, artistic latitude. So Paul warned us about listening to another gospel, to listening to another gospel, or worshiping another Jesus. And we know Satan is all about counterfeiting. Paul wanted us to be careful not to listen to another gospel or worshiping another Jesus. When you really stop and think about that, folks, listen. When you stop and think about what he's talking about, another gospel. Is he talking about Buddhism? Is he talking about Hinduism? Is he talking about the Muslim belief? Is he talking about any of that? No. Another gospel is taking the gospel and changing it to fit whatever that evil intention or that wrong intention is. You have to be careful. That means that there are plenty of preachers out there who likely are preaching another gospel. Otherwise, we wouldn't be cautioned to be careful of it. And that's why I challenge you. You know, I always, and I'm not just trying to be humble when I say it. I am fairly still new at this. Five years into it, I still consider myself new at dividing God's word. I listen to preachers far more adept than I am every week. And so I challenge you. You've got to study God's word. I am not, uh, it doesn't hurt my ego if you get to a greater understanding God's word than me. 
Now, if a whole church does that, nature of things, you'll end up with another pastor. I either have to grow along with you or at least a little ahead of you. If you start out growing me, then you have to get another pastor. But, but that is something that I don't, uh, I applaud is if people study God's word for themselves to the point that they become very learned about it. The fourth thing about demons, they oppose the children of God. They oppose the children of God. They try to separate the believers from God. It's all about separation from God. Hell is eternal separation from God. And so that is the goal. That is their main goal. Romans 8.38, if we read that, it talks about they bring fear into our lives. In 1 John 4.18, they try to create an unforgiving spirit. If you have unforgiveness, if someone comes to church and you can't come to church because that person's there, then you've got an unforgiving spirit. And it warns on Scripture that that is a demonic influence. 2 Corinthians 2, verses 10 and 11, they try to corrupt sound doctrine. 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 3, they try to destroy Christian fellowship and unity. On that second one, they try to corrupt sound doctrine. One Wednesday night, we had someone who visited the first time, and they caught me in the back, and they wanted me to stop everybody before they left and correct something I said because they had grown up in a different doctrine, and they believed that was true. And for whatever reason, they came, and they were very intent on um, I think there might have been, I don't think, well, Danny's not here, your dad, but um, I think I was eyeing him or someone like, because the guy was just getting really pushy. And, and I believed that night that while he might be a believer, he was letting himself be influenced by demons because it was something that was very foundational to our beliefs here. It was something I was never going to change on because I know it, you know, in my spirit, I know it's true. And so someone who's trying to corrupt sound doctrine now there's a lot of gray there's a lot of gray areas in my knowledge of the scripture that someone could correct me on and I would be fine. So, but they do try to uh, destroy Christian unity. First Corinthians ten twenty would tell us that uh, it's not this list is not exhaustive, but we we need to watch and protect against these things, knowing that demons will try to destroy us. We are to contend for the faith. Here's some positive things. And you can pray for me on this because the temptations are great to leave something out of my sermon sometimes for, because someone's going to be present who may think it's directed at them. That's one of the toughest things of preparing sermons is because the Holy Spirit puts something on your heart. You start preparing and you really get into it and you've typed it all out and you're looking at it and you're reading through it and you're like, oh no, that person this week, that one conversation with them. And they're going to think I'm, telling, I'm doing this just because of them. And then you realize sometimes the Holy Spirit is trying to talk to them. And you've got to make the decision. So pray for me. Because there's a temptation for me even. And sometimes I think the demons are trying to get me. They're, they're coming in where the Holy Spirit just, it flowed. And I know it's word, the word God gave me. But then you've got this other thing happening. They want to influence you changing it. But we know that Christians are more than conquerors through Christ. Amen. We have a power source greater than Satan and his, and his fallen angels. And 1 John 4, 4, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Who is it talking about? He that is in the world. Satan. We can just stand against Satan clothed in the armor of God. We see that in Ephesians 6. Talking about the full armor of God. That's there for a reason. Christian, that's there to tell you. You can clothe yourself. Through the word of God, you clothe yourself with the armor necessary to stand against the devil and his evil schemes and his henchmen. So we've already established that God's angels are mighty warriors. 
killing machines. I know it may offend some to use that in terms of angels, but they are killing machines for God against evil. Um, God's angels are organized. Here's something really intriguing. I believe they're organized into an intricate system of rank, position, and authority. Now, where do I get that? Well, listen to this. Ephesians 6.12. We know in that scripture, it talks about principalities, powers, rulers, spiritual wickedness. Talking about de- demons. That's, that's talking about the, the forces of evil, which that is Satan and the demons. So Satan is an imitator. We know that. He's a counterfeiter, right? If God has a truth, he's going to try to make it a different truth. He's going to counterfeit it to look the same but be harmful. Uh, Martin Luther called him God's ape. <laughs> so this is how God's army is also organized. Basically, God's army has structure, so Satan's army has structure. So now we know our enemy. And we can rejoice that we are on the winning side. And then we focus on how to have victory every day. And just in the last few minutes, I want to wrap up. There's a third part to this, and we're going to wrap it up pretty quickly. Colossians 1.16 For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. So I want to first show you that as it concerns Satan's angels, his demons are organized in much the same way. Ephesians 6.12, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly place. So here we can kind of break this down. We can see that there are four classes of demons or uh, ranks, um, Every commentator I read agrees that there are at least ranks, maybe not agree in in how this is broke down, um, but there's different levels of authority on both sides. A commentator by the name of J. Vernon McGee has an interesting take on these verses. Um, It may be just speculation. I'm not saying it's my take, but I'm going to give you what he said and uh, try to wrap up in a few minutes, and I think it'll be food for thought. So, you know, I told you that this series would be good to invite friends who are in the spiritual stuff but maybe not Christians, because these are the things that are intriguing. So principalities, the first one, let's look at that. He believes this world, this commentator, this world corresponds to the general in the, in the military. So it'd be like the hierarchy in the military. This demon would have oversight over an entire nation. In Daniel, it talks about the prince of Persia in reference to a specific demon. And so um, other verses also seem to indicate this. Uh, think about America in the last hundred years. Our nation has morally and spiritually been influenced greatly by something from realms of darkness. We didn't end up where we are with this whole debate about bathrooms and, and uh, gay marriage and all this stuff. We didn't end up there overnight. Um, there has been an influence, demonic activity, that has been bringing these things and not only has brought them, but made sure it has brought in a way that would cause division even in the church. Revelation talks about four demons which are are right now bound beneath the Euphrates River. They could could represent the four great kingdoms of human history, uh, the Grecian, the Roman, the Persian, and the Babylonian empires. Keep in mind, this is this commentator's take. These four demons could be the principalities which are over these empires. And when those empires fell, they were bound, but they will be turned loose upon the the one world government during the tribulation. Again, his speculation, but some interesting thoughts. 
Um, then we get on to powers, the next part of that verse. So the powers. He believes these demons have the oversight of powerful individuals. Uh, they could be a demon-possessed world leader or a leader in great power. Um, I don't believe a Christian can be possessed. I know from Scripture, I, I'm firm on that, that Christians cannot be possessed, but maybe oppressed. Uh, influenced, but not possessed. Not out of control. If we're inhabited by the Holy Spirit, then we know Scripture, we can't have both darkness and, and light inhabiting in us. So, And then it goes on, rulers of darkness. He believes that these have oversight in worldly business and industry. Uh, for example, how many would agree with me that Hollywood... The Hollywood establishment is corrupt. So he also makes this point that rulers of darkness. Uh, and we could see that there are sure dark forces when you watch the rated R movies. Hopefully you don't, but when you watch those, most of them have this heavy, dark influence. And we can't assume that that just happened. Just coincidence. Hey, there's a demon and demons in scripture and it talks about them being evil and this movie seems evil, but they're separate. no. We know that all this evil is being influenced by the devil himself. Uh, then the last one, spiritual wickedness of the four that he mentions. Spiritual wickedness in high places. And he points out that the phrase high places is throughout our Old Testament uh, in reference to idol worshipers. They had their high places where they worship Baal and other false gods. And this commentator, McGee, thinks that these would be demons with oversight in areas of religion in the world. So, we got to face it, religion's not a good thing, even in Bible-believing churches. Relationship is all of what it's about, but when we get religious, like the Pharisees, we can be doing it like Saul did before he was Paul and be doing it in God's name and still be persecuting God's people. So we know that um, we have to be careful with that. So we have these four classifications of demons, and that was his take on it. Uh, but this didn't start with Satan. He's not the originator. He's just the imitator. Uh, the, the reason Satan organized his army the way he did is because that's how God organized his army. Now, now think about it. Why, when I was in the Navy, I decided to go scuba diving with a buddy. We had access to some equipment, and we wanted to go look for lobsters in illegal traps. We're like, that's illegal, so it shouldn't be illegal for us to take their illegal lobsters and go boil them up on the beach. Well, we were near a submarine base, and we didn't really pay attention because it was dark, of where we're going and we came up by a submarine who was in the water when they're up out of the water they put a big dark tarp over the propeller now why did they do that because there is a secret to how those are designed because submarines are sunk by the sounds that they make submarines are sunk because there's people which was my first job in the navy i learned surface sonar tech that listen to the cavitation which that's the air movement the bubbles it makes that propeller and be able to determine by the sound what kind of what kind of vessel that is and so sonar techs are listening and torpedoes are sent to destroy those subs and kill everybody in it based on sound there's all quiet times you're not supposed to sing in the shower even because it could be heard so it's very serious those are very high-pitched very in fact divers can't be in the water when they start pinging the sonar it could it could cause you major problems it could kill you so um, we came up out of the water in a near a submarine that was in the water so the propeller wasn't covered. And next thing you know, we were surrounded and pulled out of the water. And it was a very serious deal. We were in serious trouble. And fortunately, when we told the story, they believed it. The lobsters helped because that added proof of what we were doing. But, <laughs> but we understand this. So 
Satan organized his army because here's the thing. Russia would love to know about those propellers and the design so they could do the same thing. If we're winning, let's find out how they make their propellers. You go down the list, any branch of military, anything that's secret, that's the whole point. If the enemy finds out, they'll copy it, and then they'll be as good as we are. And so Satan has done the same thing. God is very good, and he knows how it ends because he knows the word of God. And all he's trying to think is, if I could just, he's fooling himself. Father of lies, lying to himself. If I could just make my army as good as his, I have a chance at this thing, right? Or at least make him more miserable, even though I know I'm going to lose in the end. I'm going to make him as miserable as I can. Take as many with as I can. Colossians 1.16, for by him all things were created. We covered that. Colossians 2.10, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Ephesians 1.19-21, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe? And it goes on. Ephesians 3.10, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Now, I'm not going to have time. We're going a little bit over. Uh, I'll just tell you that's why I gave you notes, but uh, we're gonna get it. we could get into the different types of angels as we finish. Uh, the archangel, the cherubim, the seraphim. Um, you can do a little bit of that study on your own using those notes as a guide. Um, <clears throat> next week's going to wrap up our focus on angels. Uh, before we get into the new year. Remember Friday night. Now, I, we missed Sunday because of the weather, so I'm going to have to be very creative in wrapping up that series um, because I'm only going to try to preach about 20 minutes Friday night for our candlelight service. So come come if you want to finish up that series. We're going to try to wrap it up uh, as best I can. And hopefully this is helpful to you. It, it got us out of the realm of some of the series we're doing that gives you a little more... Um, knowledge about god's word now you know a little more about angels and next week we're probably going to try to recap everything we learned in that one night so if you missed a wednesday night you'll get a chance to get a little bit of everything in that one sermon next wednesday night all right any questions we did more of a teaching that through this so any questions or comments so far on the series or something you're curious about All right. See, Dawn's not here tonight. She she's got questions, and uh, I have to tell her we missed her tonight because she gets the she breaks the ice. So, all right, love y'all. Uh, fellowship as long as you like, and um, we'll see you Friday night at seven. Friday night at seven. I'll be here at seven. Trust me. So, see you then. Love you guys, and have a great week.